Amen. Good morning. It's so wonderful to see you all here with us this morning. Thank you for being here. We're so very thankful to have those who are with us online. Thank you for joining us each and every week. And we want you to know we're always here for you. And if you're at home during this time and cannot get out very easily and you have needs, be sure you let us know. Reach out to us. We're here to serve you as well as everyone here in uh, the audience here physically with us. And we're so very thankful to have our visitors with us this morning. Thank you for being here with us, as well as our members who come every week. So wonderful to see you. I want to do a quick highlight of what we have coming for this year in our sermon series. Uh, I have the year a few years after this uh, planned out, but of course, I'll go in and tweak some things and, and make adjustments. But what we have for this year for Sunday morning uh, AM sermon series is we're going to do a few weeks, about six weeks of the atmosphere of the church we're about to introduce. Then we're going to do Romans, Come to Jesus. And I love the book of Romans. I read it for the first time as a high school student here going through it when I was influenced by a friend in the youth group to start reading my Bible every day, and I started doing that, and I spent about a year in the book of Romans, and I just fell in love with it as a youth, and uh, of course didn't understand everything, but it just was a powerful book, and I've always loved Romans. Then we're going to look at the anatomy of a disciple, and uh, then we're going to do a series called That's a Good Question, where we're just going to look at some different questions that people tend to have. Of course, we won't cover every question possible, but we're going to look at a series of just some different types of religious, biblical kinds of questions that hopefully are helpful, interesting, relevant to you. And uh, we'll do that kind of thing from time to time. It won't be the only time we do something like that. Then we're going to look at the pastorals, the church of our Lord, First, Second Timothy, and Titus. And that's a really good study to understand what is the church and the makeup of it, and how does it work, how is it organized, and where do I fit in in all of that, and what, what is an elder, and what are they supposed to be doing, a deacon, ministers, teachers, members, and, and how should I understand all that, how does it work, and uh, hopefully that's an encouraging educational study for you as well, and then we'll finish the year uh, looking at knowing the Trinity. How, how, can I, how can I better understand who God is and, and who Jesus is and the Holy Spirit, and, and what is the Holy Spirit, and, and how, how do I understand the differences between them, and how are they three in one, and, and what is the Trinity, and, and where do we see that in the Bible? And so I think we'll, we'll get into that, and, and we will get into that, and I think that will be very uh, helpful and encouraging and interesting to you as well. I know, I know uh, I'm excited about them. And then for Sunday nights throughout the year, we're doing a series called uh, My Life in Him. And each week, it's, the theme is focused on my life in Christ, who I am in Christ. And then each week, we're going to look at a different area in my life you know, that's affected by my life in Him. Uh, and, and so we're going to look at a, a wide range of different things throughout the year on that. And of course, that's only about two times a month. And so we'll cover a number of things, a number of topics during that time. Now, tonight we have one of our uh, brothers preaching tonight. We're looking forward to that. And uh, so we encourage you to be back uh, for our service tonight. 
on June 19th, 2008 in Brooklyn, New York at the Kings County Hospital Center, surveillance cameras in the psychiatric hospital emergency room capture a woman, 49-year-old Esmin Green. She's falling from a chair, writhing on the floor, and eventually dying. The camera footage shows hospital staff and other patients watch and do nothing for over an hour. One guard rolls his chair around the corner to stare at the body on the floor and does nothing. Eventually, a medical staff member attends to Miss Green, but it's too late. She had already passed away. You see, Esmond Green had been working at a daycare, but in June of 2008, she lost her job. She was soon evicted from her apartment. She did have some psychological challenges, and it all came crashing down on her when she lost her job and her home. She's admitted into the psychiatric emergency room of the hospital, but waited nearly 24 hours to get checked into a room. She eventually collapsed on the floor, and she lays there for 20 minutes, and no one even notices her except the other patients in the waiting room. Finally, a security guard sees her but does nothing. 18 minutes later, another security guard, as I said, wheels his chair uh, around the corner to check on her but did nothing. He looks at her, rolls away. Later, a doctor comes by and sees her, but he only stares at her and walks away. Later, a nurse goes over to Esmond and kind of nudges at her with her foot to see if she responds, and Esmond didn't. That nurse eventually got help, and several people go into the waiting room with equipment to check her, but by this point, she's already dead. 24 hours after being admitted into the hospital that was supposed to care for her, she died on the very place, in the very place where she was supposed to get help. The city's medical examiner's autopsy stated that Esmond Green died from blood clots that formed in the legs and traveled through the bloodstream to the lungs caused by physical inactivity. One of the attorneys bringing the lawsuit against the hospital said this, the reason this woman died the way she did is because there is a culture of indifference to the patients that permeates every aspect of the hospital's psychiatric care. That same attorney said, I have a question for the president of the company. He named the president, which runs the hospital. Would he be comfortable sending his loved ones to the psychiatric emergency room at Kings County? That's a tragic story, isn't it? It's a terrible thing. Imagine being Miss Green's relative and learning of this and finding out all the horrible, tragic details of what happened to your relative. That's a terrible story, isn't it? And hopefully that is a very rare occasion, but the fact that it happened once is bad enough. It's a terrible, terrible thing. We would not want that to happen to any of our family members or loved ones or anyone that we knew or anyone near us. We would be heartbroken to hear that that, found, that, that happened to somebody that we knew, somebody we were related to, somebody we loved. I want to highlight something that the medical, the attorney said. The reason this woman died the way she did is because there's a culture of indifference to the patients that permeates every aspect of the hospital's psychiatric care. A culture of indifference. What does the word indifference mean? 
we know the word, but do we really know what it means? You know, sometimes we know a word, but we don't stop and think, what does that really mean? Maybe we know it when we see it, but it means a lack of concern, a lack of interest, a lack of sympathy, right? Just, I don't really care. And, and you can't care about everything equally. We understand that. But when it comes to somebody in medical need, there was indifference in urgent medical need. There was a lack of care, a lack of concern, a lack of sympathy for their well-being. So what about the church? Is it possible for the church to be indifferent to the needs of people? Is it possible for a church to have a lack of concern for others? We talked a lot about this, about stewardship in discipleship and evangelism in class this morning. And I think that goes well with what we're talking about this morning, that there can be a lack of indifference and where I don't see it as, as my problem. And, and there have been studies about this that they've done in you know, busy New York City where someone falls on the ground and it's all planned, but it's a sociological study to see, are, is anyone going to help? Somebody's falling, and it's, it kind of gets us back to the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, doesn't, doesn't it? Be, does anybody care to help, or are we all too busy? But what about when it's in our own church? Can a church be indifferent to the needs of others? And, and there's different kinds of needs we could talk about, the spiritual needs. We talk about discipleship this morning in class, uh, uh, the health needs, the physical needs, the benevolent needs of others. And then we could think about, yeah, but what about uh, the neighborhood around us? W what about our community? W what about, what about this, this community larger than Bullard, beyond Bullard, this kind of surrounding area? Uh, do we need to think about, uh, do we have indifference towards them? And, and then it's easy to think about, like we said last week, kind of the church in general, but what about me? Am, am I sometimes indifferent or, or have a lack of concern for those types of needs? What about me? So we have to ask ourselves those questions. Now, think about what does indifference lead to? We see it in the story of Esmond Green. What does indifference lead to? Indifference leads to neglect, doesn't it? If I have a lack of concern for a thing, then what do I do? I don't give attention to it. I don't go administer to the needs of it. And so uh, indifference leads to neglect. And what we see in, the, in her case, Miss Green's case, is that it costs her her life. The idea that there was a culture of indifference and it left to neglect even when people saw her on the floor. I, I, you can understand maybe if it's a psychiatric hospital and other patients are in there and maybe everything isn't, isn't right with them, they're struggling too and they don't do anything. But the people who work there, the, the, the nurses, the hospital staff, the security, they don't do anything? That, that's a big problem, isn't it? And hopefully, again, that's a rare problem, but we have to think about the church. And, and, and isn't the church supposed to be a place where the sick come to get help? And see, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to realize, yeah, I, I'm sick. Because remember when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, he said, it, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick, the healthy don't go to a hospital. 
The healthy don't need a physician, Jesus said. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And who are the sick? The sick are those who are spiritually sick, spiritually in need of saving from Christ, spiritually in need of His love, of His care, of His forgiveness, of the blessings that come from God. And also... Those, those benevolent needs that we have, those physical needs. And, 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 and that's one area. And this isn't an accusation against this congregation. This is highlighting the subject so it can be something that's consistently important to us. That's the way I'm approaching because we're talking about this idea of the atmosphere of the church. And so um, we have to think about the, the church should be a place where the sick can come. The sick in different areas of their life can come because it's the, not the healthy who need the doctor, but a sick, but the sick. Now, the word atmosphere is not a word you've heard before. We're, we know the word atmosphere. What does the word atmosphere mean? We could think about, we, we would say the, the gases and uh, you know, everything in space around us or, or the thing, you know, the, the different layers of the, the, the atmosphere uh, that are around us, the oxygen, all the different elements and layers, everything that has to do with that. But in another way that we use the word atmosphere it is kind of the idea of tone or mood, right? The atmosphere of the restaurant was nice was romantic, was, comf- was calming. The atmosphere at the lake was so peaceful, right? We say th- we use it in that way as well. And, and so when we're thinking about the word atmosphere, what does that sound like it means to you? Obviously, that has the word act in it, so it sounds like something to do with action, right? And, and so if we think about if we think about it, we're talking about the, the action, the atmosphere, the action atmosphere of the local congregation. What is the tone or the mood, the atmosphere of the congregation? What, a better way to describe this is what we see in the book of Acts when we look at the New Testament church, because that's who we're claiming to be, right? That's who we strive to be like. That's who we want to be like is the church we read about in the Bible. So what was their atmosphere? When we read about the church in the book of Acts, we read that they were loving, selfless, sacrificial, united, devoted, Fellowship-filled, believing, all-filled, together, need-meeting, glad, generous, praising, favorable, evangelistic, and growing. We see that they had this powerful atmosphere about them. And that's what we want to have about us. It's an atmosphere of action. We might also use the word culture. That's a familiar word for us. What is the culture of the church? Now, we're not talking about, in, in, in this regard, the church in general. We're talking about the Bullard Church of Christ. What is the culture of the Bullard Church of Christ? What is our atmosphere like? Now, now guess what? Every one of you has a role in determining and creating and shaping the atmosphere of this congregation, the culture of this congregation. So our job is to look at the book of Acts and look at uh, the early Christians, look at the New Testament and say, are, are we like that? 
do we differ in some ways? Are there some areas we can improve on? And is there an area I need to work on so that I can help us have that kind of atmosphere that we read about in the Bible? Let's look at one example in the book of Acts. Look at chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And Luke writes, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this duty. But we will uh, devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse number 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a, a proselyte of Antioch. Verse number 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Look at verse number 7. And the word of God continued to increase... And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What happened in this situation? What happened in what we just read? What was going on? We see that the church was growing. Things were going well. They were, they were united, we see from chapter 2 and 4. They were devoted. They were sincere in their faith. But what inevitably happens? Challenges come up, problems happen, things happen, right? And so what developed among them is that uh, the Hellenists, the widows who were Hellenists, were getting neglected in the daily distribution of food. Now we see no evidence that anybody meant for this to happen, do we? It, it just... Nobody means for a lot of things to happen when, when there's a mistake, when something is overlooked, when someone is overlooked. Most of the time, no one meant to do that, to do anything wrong, to hurt somebody's feelings, to leave somebody out. But it happens in, sometimes, and it happened in this case. And we see that some widows were left out of the daily distribution of food. Now, now you might be thinking... Somebody didn't call me or send me a card, and, and that hurt my feelings. And that's legitimate. That's fine. But think about it. If you depended on the church to give you food every day or you had no food, and you were being forgotten. And we don't know how long this was happening. Hopefully not too long. But imagine being in that situation where they forgot to give me food and I couldn't eat today. And not only am I an individual in the congregation, likely I'm an older woman in the congregation. Do you see that? Imagine yourself being in that situation. Now, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. Greek-speaking Jewish Christians. They had come from outside Palestine uh, to the Feast of Pentecost where they became Christians and had not yet returned home. They were the descendants of the Israelites who centuries earlier had been deported to, uh, into Assyrian and Babylonian cap captivities. 
Though they were Israelites, they grew up in a Gentile culture. And so it's very likely they could not even speak Hebrew. And so the traditional Palestinian Israelites were apparently not very sympathetic to their Gentileness of these Jewish folks. Does that make sense? There was a cultural difference. They were Jews, but they grew up in a Greek culture, so they were different. They, they weren't like us. And, and they didn't, there was even, it seems to be, a language barrier, very likely a language barrier. Now, there's no evidence that they meant to overlook them. But that just happens, doesn't it? Because we're humans and we fall short and things fall through the cracks. Somebody thought somebody else was doing it and they thought somebody else was doing it and they thought that guy was doing it and it fell through. And so what we see is that they didn't know this was happening. So the Greek-speaking widows were getting overlooked by the Hebrew-speaking people very likely, but all within the same congregation. You can imagine the challenge that this presented. Now, with the cultural issues, possible language difference, and let's just be honest, maybe there were some of the traditional Jewish folks who looked down on them, who didn't like them as much. They, they just preferred to be over here with these folks instead of them. We don't know, maybe not, but maybe that was part of it as well. But what do we see that the apostles did? Remember we talked about a culture of, of indifference? Do we see a culture of indifference among the early church? What did they do? As soon as the problem was brought to their attention, they took action. That's not indifference, is it? That's not lack of care or concern or sympathy. They took action. And what did they do? They appointed deacons to take care of the situation. Do you see how important deacons are? See, sometimes we forget how important deacons are. We forget what a real tangible need they meet within the body of Christ and within the community. Deacons aren't something that, hey, you're here all the time and you know how to do that. We'll make you a deacon. That's not what being a deacon is about. The, what we see in Scripture is that they were appointed over a very important ministry to take care of some widows who couldn't take care of themselves. They depended on the church for this ministry. And so that's what we see when deacons are given a ministry. That's vital to the work of the church. Elders don't appoint deacons willy-nilly, at least they shouldn't. They need deacons, men who will stand up and, and, and take the reins of that ministry and do that ministry well. Why? Because people depend on it. And that's what we see here in Scripture. That's what a scriptural deacon, a biblical deacon does. So uh, what, what we see happen was the apostles didn't let indifference exist. And because they didn't let indifference exist, indifference exists, they didn't allow neglect to fester. Do you, do you see that? And so there was neglect accidentally, but they took care of it as soon as they saw there was a problem. 
And that's what good elders and, and, and members do and deacons and ministers do is when they see that there's a need, we take action. We don't say, well, somebody else will get it. We, we point it out and we say, I think there's a need here. We need to look at this so that it can be taken care of. Now look at verse number 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So let me ask you a question. When did the word of God continue to increase? When? Verse number 7. When they did what they did in verses 1 through 6, right? After they made sure people were taken care of. After they made sure there was, they were not... There was not a culture of indifference. After they were doing what they were supposed to do to care for one another, when they were being the church responsive to the needs of folks, when they were being who God wanted them to be, the word of God continued to increase. Now, if the apostles had just said, oh, we got that, what would have happened? Eventually, that bottlenecks with the apostles, with the elders, with the, the minister, right? Eventually things get bottlenecked and then what happens? Nothing's getting done because a few people say they will get it done. Instead, what do, they see? what do we see in Scripture? That they got more people involved, and that's what we've been focusing on, more people involved to do the work of the church. Do you see that? And so there was something that others could do to take care of that need. Maybe they were already doing some things, maybe not, but they brought them on board to take care of that need in the church. So then the word of God increased. Then the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So the point is, it takes all of us to get the work done. So here's three things we need to do, make sure we're doing well. We need to, first of all, bring and welcome visitors. Now, we can't welcome visitors if we don't bring visitors. Now, yeah, people are going to come on their own as well, uh, a lot of people look at our website and visit uh, that way, and that's where people are going to check you out first most of the time nowadays. But typically, visitors are going to come because we've invited them. And so when we need to bring them, and then when we bring them, we need to make them feel welcome. Okay? Get to know them, uh, uh, meet them, make them feel welcome. Then we need to integrate new members well, don't we? We need to get new members involved. Now, that doesn't mean the day you place membership, you ought to be up here teaching, okay? But we need to get new members involved in some way, okay? And there's lots of different ways. And that's another job that deacons get to do is look for new ways within their ministry folks can get involved. What are some new things we ought to do? Uh, and then we need to keep up with current members, at Oldham Lane, we had uh, we were we had we were averaging Sunday morning around 650 people for AM worship, and we I, I was the one that announced new members. We were announcing new members almost every week. Every month we were announcing multiple new members. That's a lot of people to keep up with. And in the meantime, you've got folks who've been there a long time, maybe homebound, sick shut in, going through different things, and you've got new people coming in. That's a lot of things going on. That's a lot of people to keep up with. It was hard for the elders to keep up with uh, just knowing the new members. We had some things in place to make sure they were able to meet new members, everybody that came in. Just to meet visitors was hard. Just to say hi to people was hard to do. 
But we had to make sure and do our best to bring in and welcome new people, integrate new people. But then you can't forget about the people who've been there. You see, that's important. You can't forget about the people who are homebound and shut in or, or, or they can't always get out because they can't drive uh, very good by themselves or, or the people that are just rock steady here all the time. So you can get excited about new folks coming in and you forget about the, the old faithful people, right? We got to make sure we cover all of that and do that well. Quickly as we wrap up, I read a story about a girl named Emily. Her youth minister wrote this story about her. Emily had a conversation with her dad at the beginning of her senior year of high school. She said, Dad, I had a realization. You know how all these years I've gone to school and I've been super quiet and haven't really talked to people? Well, I realized I can't bring people to Christ unless I befriend them first. And that means I have to talk to them. Before I never talk to people at school because it's way out of my comfort zone, she said. So I decided this year to talk to people that I'd gone to school with my whole life but had never talked to. She went on to tell her dad that the craziest thing about her decision was that when she started doing that to please God and bring others to him, she actually started enjoying school more. And guess what? One day... Emily invited a guy to class to eat dinner with her family, and his name was Tanner. It wasn't a boyfriend-girlfriend thing. as a guy she befriended and decided she would speak to, and she decided to invite him to dinner. Tanner later came to church and met the youth minister, Philip. Now, when Philip, this is a true story, when Philip first met Tanner, Tanner gave Philip a Ziploc bag full of drugs. He gave them to Philip and said a friend had given them to him, uh, to sell, but he didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted Philip to get rid of the drugs for him because he was going to change his life. Sometime later down the road, Philip baptized Tanner into Christ. How did all that happen? How, how did he get baptized? Because a girl said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take seriously the atmosphere of my youth group, of my church. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to create an atmosphere. We see that in John chapter 1. We won't read all of that, but quickly in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is with two of his disciples when Jesus walks by. And John says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. And as soon as he did that, those disciples of John start following Jesus. And then in verse 41, verse 40, one of, the, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. And then later in the chapter, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him. And then uh, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. That's what Emily was doing. Come and see. I found him. I want you to find him too. Here's the point I want to leave you with. The way most people 
are going to meet Christ by meeting a Christian. We talked about that in class this morning. The way most people are going to meet Christ is by meeting a Christian. So when they meet you, you see what God is doing? You see what Emily did? She, she simply spoke to Tanner, befriended him, and invited him for dinner. And down the road, he became a child of God. Why? Because she was focused on the atmosphere of the church. And that's who we are and what we're about, is an atmosphere, a culture of activity for God that's focused on bringing lost souls to Christ, busy things. That ain't the point. The point is ultimately to bring people to Christ. The way most people are going to become a Christian is by meeting someone who is already a Christian. So you and I got work to do when we go out tomorrow, when we meet people. We've got to let people know, I found him. Come and see. If we can help you this morning in any way, if you need prayers, encouragement, if we can serve you in any way, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, maybe you want to talk to us about placing membership at this congregation and putting your hand behind the plow, as the old saying goes. We want you to know this church is always here for you. If you have any needs, you're welcome to come forward now as we together.